Okay, let's try that again. We had a great time last night uh, for our Bunko night and um, saw some people were kind of competitive and uh, we had fun. I'm going to begin a new series today. We've looked at understanding the Bible. That was our first one. We've looked at understanding the church. And now today we want to begin a new series on understanding spiritual growth. And today I'm going to kind of do an introduction to the series. I remember when I wrote my first book, The Grace Way, the, uh, I had it all ready to go, the publisher was all ready to go, and they said, you don't have an introduction. And you've got to have an introduction to the book. And I said, okay, um, what do I put in the introduction? And they said, doesn't matter, nobody reads it. <laughs> I thought, you're right, I've never read an introduction in a book in my life. Um, ever since then, though, I always read the introduction to a book. Um, well, hopefully nobody reads it doesn't transfer into nobody's going to listen to an introduction uh, to a series either. But uh, I want to look over the next few weeks at uh, some different topics that have to do with the concept of how do we grow spiritually. What does it mean to be spiritual to start off with? Uh, how do we become spiritual? What's the process involved? What does spirituality look like? You know, is it kind of a holier-than-thou look of disdain upon others? Uh, you know, that's kind of what some people think it is. Well, I went to Amazon Books this week online, and I typed in the word spirituality to see about how many books have been written on the topic of spirituality. And uh, according to Amazon Books, I got over 70 thousand hits on books on spirituality. Now, not all of them were Christian. There were books on Zen Buddhism, okay? Uh, there was a book on the third eye. Now, that really piqued my curiosity, but I didn't want to spend the money to buy it. Uh, but if you got a copy laying around, loan it to me. I'd like to know what a third eye is. Um, there was one on how to become supernatural. Oh, okay. And uh, anyhow, um, I could spend the rest of my life just going through books on spirituality, but most of them, I have a feeling, um, just wouldn't apply to what we're talking about here. But even in the Christian community, I find that there's a, a wide divergence as to just what spirituality is and, and how do we get it. Perhaps in this very room here today, there would be a difference of opinion as to what spirituality is. So how can we know? Well, I hope to clear up some ideas. I hope to discard some ideas using the Word of God as the foundation for what we believe and what we teach. I think we have a place to go to find out the truth, all right? So let's begin this morning by looking at what spirituality is not. All right? Spirituality is not the same 
as being saved for a long time. I've known people who've been saved 40 years or more and they've never grown spiritually. They've grown one year in the Lord 40 times over, okay? But never really moved on. The writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, in writing to these believers, uh, ran into a similar type of a situation. Over in Hebrews chapter five, beginning in verse 11, the writer says this, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull. I like that. (laughs) Spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So the writer of Hebrews is writing these believers and he says, you know, by now you should be so far along in your growth as a Christian that you could teach other people. But he says, you're dull, spiritually dull, and you won't listen, okay? You won't listen. Again, in Hebrews chapter six, verses one through three, says, so let us stop going over the basic teaching about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. The writer of Hebrews has this group of believers and and these people are stuck in the beginning point. Imagine a race, they're lined up, the starting gun goes, they take one step and stop. Okay, they never move on. They don't continue the race. There are people like that. It would be sad to see someone 40 years old who still just look like an infant baby. We we would say that, that that's not normal. We would say there's something very, very wrong that that baby has not grown to a 40-year-old looking person. And I think there's something very wrong about believers who've been Christians for a long time and have never progressed beyond just the basic understanding of the Word of God and have never moved on. Don't get me wrong, spiritual growth takes time, okay? but time in itself won't make us spiritually mature. Another thing that spirituality is not. Spirituality is not the same as having a lot of Bible knowledge. Okay? We could memorize whole books of the Bible and never grow spiritually. Now, I grew up in the Bible church movement back in the 
50s and 60s, 70s. Um, you know, the, the, the movement that, you know, we had our Schofield Bibles and, you know, the Dallas Theological Seminary was the womb of, of dispensational teaching. And, you know, I, I went to catechism. I went to 10 years of Sunday school. I went to children's church. I went to youth groups. I was in Youth for Christ. I went to Bible college. Okay. So all those years, I had a lot of Bible knowledge getting pumped into my head. But knowledge alone doesn't make us spiritual. In fact, you know what knowledge alone is? Dangerous. <laughs> it is. The Bible says so. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this. But while knowledge makes us feel important... It is love that strengthens the church. Wow. Knowledge alone makes us feel important. Another translation puts it this way. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. I like that. See, and having grown up again in the Bible knowledge movement... You know, I've known a lot of people who fit in this category. They've got just all sorts of knowledge crammed into their head, but it's never made that 14-inch descent you know, down into the heart. You know, it's sad to see someone with just a whole bunch of knowledge, but completely unable to love others, completely un unable to relate to people. Um, there was a program on TV, uh, it's not on anymore, called The Big Bang Theory. Okay? And there was a, a fella in The Big Bang Theory by the name of Sheldon. And Sheldon was a brilliant physicist. And he had a roommate, Leonard, and he was a theoretical physicist. You know, and they had all this knowledge about physics, but none of them could navigate life at all. Okay? Well, you know, that's kind of like Chris, some Christians. They got all this knowledge in their head, but they can't navigate life, spiritual life. Another thing that spirituality is not. Spirituality is not the same as having an emotional experience. I've, I've known people who've gone from one emotional experience to another, uh, even traveling great distances to get some kind of an emotional experience. And, uh, and they, they built their whole faith on emotional experience. Now, I tell this story, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, okay? But this idea that spirituality is an emotion almost got me killed in Vietnam. Now, I never went to Vietnam. I was never in the military, okay? But the story basically goes like this. When I was a, a young boy, I went to a Christian university in the Deep South, and uh, we had chapel every day. And um, there was a rumor that the troublemaker kids were put in the front row, okay, of chapel. And um, I don't know if that rumor is true or not, but um, my brother and I had front row seats uh, in, in chapel. And one day, one of the speakers got up and he spoke and 
you know, whatever it was he was talking about. But he ended his message with, with this. How many of you feel you are just as spiritual now as you've ever been? Everybody's hand went up in that chapel but mine. The reason my hand did not go up is that I had been taught that spirituality is not dependent upon your emotions. You can be feeling, I was feeling homesick, to be honest. That's what my emotion was, okay. Uh, I didn't raise my hand. And uh, the founder of the school was sitting on the platform right in front of me. And when I didn't raise my hand, he walked up to the edge of the platform, he pointed at me and he said, come here. I went up, he said, meet me in the green room after chapel. That was room off to the side. So I went over to the green room after chapel and I received a tremendous lecture on uh, how um, carnal I was and how unspiritual I was. And I never got a chance to explain why I didn't raise my hand. And I was told that uh, if I didn't change my attitude, I was going to be out of there the next day. And he wanted to meet with me the next day. Well, this was 1966. And my draft board was after me. I already got a notice. The only reason I hadn't been drafted and gone to Vietnam was that I had an exemption because I was a student. And now I was getting threatened to lose that deferment, and that meant I'd be drafted, and uh, that meant I'd go to Vietnam, and I was sure if I went to Vietnam, I'd die, okay? So the next morning I went into his office, and I'm not proud to say this, but I lied through my teeth. I told him he was right, I was such a horrible person, but I had repented of my evil, and so I got to stay in school and that's why I wasn't killed in Vietnam. Um, there are people who base spirituality upon their emotions. And the trouble with emotions is that they die quickly, don't they? Uh, people are always therefore seeking another mountaintop experience. And basing our spirituality on a feeling can, can lead to, to being deceived by people who know how to manipulate our feelings. And there are people who are good at that. Now again, spirituality might include feelings, might include emotions, but emotions in themselves is not the same. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. I have met people who based their salvation upon their feelings. And when they didn't feel like they were saved, well, they feared they had lost their salvation and they needed to get saved again. And, and I have known people who got saved almost every week, you know, uh, which was great for the church records, but, uh, you know, basing our feelings uh, our spirituality on a feeling um, it, that can be different for everybody. Um, some people are more emotional than others. Have you ever noticed that? You know, there are us stoic German stock, 
you know, that, uh, you know, you, here's my happy expression. Here's my sad one. You know, this is straight line type of a thing. There are, there are others, uh, a pastor, Tim Heath, who was an associate pastor of mine down in Florida, and he couldn't open his mouth without crying. You know, uh, half his sermons were, you know, full of tears, and people loved it, and, and I loved it. I wish I was more like that. Um, but, but emotions come in seasons and cycles, and, you know, some people's emotions mirror the weather. Uh, you know, if it's cloudy day, well, they're down. If it's a sunny day, well, they're, you know, they're up. Spirituality is not just our emotions. Another one, spirituality is not an all or nothing condition. You either are spiritual or you're not spiritual. It's more on a, on a progressive line there. It's not something we attack and conquer and then we have it for the rest of our lives. We, we have arrived. It's a continual process. It's not something we wake up in the morning and say, well, am I spiritual today or am I not spiritual today? Over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes this, not that I have already attained it, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. The Apostle Paul says, I haven't arrived yet, but I, I'm, I'm in this, this process. I am actively pressing, I'm actively pursuing spiritual life, spiritual growth. It's not an all or nothing type of a thing. Another thing spirituality is not, spirituality is not about obeying a certain set of rules. Some pastors believe that the way to know who is truly spiritual is by how many times they attend church in a month. Really, that is their criteria, okay? Uh, some people believe it's how much they give in the offering. Other people believe it's how do you dress for church? You know, wearing a Hawaiian shirt would be horrible. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I have heard people judge spirituality of other people by their hair length. Too long for men, too short for women, okay? Uh, facial hair, the, the words people use. I had a man in the church who said, we cannot use the word potluck in church because it has the word luck in it. And there's no such thing as luck for Christians. I had another person leave the church because we sang happy birthday to Jesus at a Christmas program. Oh man, you know, it's not the, the words we use to, that causes us to be spiritual or, or and we certainly can't judge others' spirituality by the words they use. Now I know 
Church membership can be a touchy subject, but when used incorrectly, some people see that as a sign of, of spirituality or the lack thereof. Religious leaders make up rules as the criteria to, to evaluate the spirituality of others. Like, did you raise your hand when someone said, do you feel just as spiritual now as you've ever been? John 8, 15 says, you judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. You know who's speaking there? Jesus, absolutely. There are Christians who look very spiritual in church, but when they get home, it's a totally different story. And I have to confess, I have been fooled more than once by the outward appearance of someone in church on Sunday, using that as a, as a judging factor for their spirituality. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the way he looks on the outside, or how tall he is, because I have not chosen him. For the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. A man looks on the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees us differently. And we need to see one another from God's perspective, not our perspective. And it's interesting he talks about how tall a person is. Um, he's probably referring to King Saul, who was a very tall king before him. But I have read studies that said people look up, literally and figuratively, more to tall people than they do short people. We're not to look on the outward appearance. We're to look on the inward. We're to see the hearts of people. And we can't know that by shaking their hand on Sunday morning and say, hi, how are you? It's good to see you, you know, in church. Well, today, as I said, I'm introducing the topic of spirituality. But I want to give you something solid to take home and chew on, okay? If I have it already. Here's your money's worth. Okay? Here is the point for today. If you don't get anything else, get this. The Holy Spirit of God uses the Holy Word of God to produce the Holy Child of God. Okay? In case you missed it, it's right up there on the screen for you to look at. The Holy Spirit of God uses the Holy Word of God to produce the Holy Child. You're going to hear that every sermon in this series, okay? So hopefully you'll, you'll never forget it. There are three elements involved in growing spirit, spiritually, and we're going to be breaking them down in the weeks to come. The first is the Holy Spirit. If you look at the word spiritual, the word spirit's right in there, isn't it? Starts off with the Spirit. You know, there's, there's no spirituality apart from the Holy Spirit. It has to begin there. You know, you can read all the 10 steps to spirituality books that you want, but if it doesn't begin with the Holy Spirit, 
then we might as well be reading brain surgery for dummies. You know, it's just not going to do us any good. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, so since you heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on the new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Folks, this is something we can't do ourselves. This is something God never intended for us to do ourselves because we can't do it ourselves. This is a work of God. Now, we're going to see we have a part in this, but spirituality comes from the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. The moment we were saved, the Holy Spirit came and lived within us permanently. Okay? The Holy Spirit lives within us. Have you ever wondered why? Was they ran out of room in heaven and the Holy Spirit had to leave and go somewhere else. You know, what's, what's the deal? No, the Holy Spirit has a ministry living within us. That's where the Holy Spirit does his work. Now we're in sermons to come. We're going to see some more specifics as what the role the Holy Spirit plays in developing that godliness in us. But the first element is the Holy Spirit. The second element is the Word of God. The word know, K-N-O-W, appears 496 times in the New Testament in the King James Version. 496 times. In the New International Version, the NIV, it appears 1,163 times. In the book of First and Second Corinthians, it appears 67 times. Now, what's the Apostle Paul doing in First and Second Corinthians? Well, he's correcting bad thinking, bad attitudes, and bad behavior. And what does he do in an attempt to, to do that? He does that by having them recall what he taught them. It begins in the mind. In fact, the battlefield is in the mind. We're going to get into a lot of that in sermons yet to come. Today we've got something better. We do not have to recall what some itinerant missionary said three months ago when they passed through. Okay, we've got something better. We have the completed word of God, okay, that we can go to, that we can open up, that God can talk to us. We have the whole complete word of God. Romans chapter 10, 
verses one through three. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. He's saying the Jews, they have a tremendous zeal, but they have no knowledge. So they're off going this way. When God says, no, this is the way to go. Zeal is a dangerous thing if it is not based in knowledge. Knowledge is dead without zeal. Got to have them both there, though. In the weeks to come, we're going to see what a large part of our responsibility in spiritual growth is that we are to know the truth. And that brings us to the third element we need for spiritual growth. And the third element is you and me. You and me, we are the third element. God, through the working of the Holy Spirit, uses the Holy Word of God, and God has his responsibilities. But we have responsibilities too. There are two mistakes that we can make here. Number one, if we try to do God's responsibilities, we're going to fail. Okay, we can't do it. We don't have the power to do that. The other mistake we can make is us not doing our responsibility. So we need to know the difference. We need to know whose responsibility is it, God's or mine. And then once we identify my responsibility, well, that's where we need to work then. So what is our responsibility? I'm I'm sure you've heard the saying, let go and let God. Okay? Well, if we're talking about God's responsibilities, that is absolutely true. But if we're talking about our responsibility, then that's the furthest thing through the truth. We can't just, oh, well, we'll just let go and let God, and I'm not going to do anything, you know. That doesn't work. We can't just ignore our responsibility. So let me give you a little preview, okay, of things to come. Sermons to come. What are we responsible for? Number one, we are responsible to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now today the word faithful kind of means the same as hang in there. Keep going. Um, in a married situation, the unfaithful spouse, they, they breaks their promise to be committed to someone. But that's not what the original word meant. The original word faithful meant to be full of faith. It's like the word awesome, meant to be full of awe. The old English, they just switched words around. Okay. Faithful meant to be full of faith. Faith is believing God. So part of our responsibility is we are to believe God. We are to be full of faith. If we are unbelieving believers, then the Holy Spirit can't do his job within us. 
If we're unbelieving believers, we're not going to open up God's word. For what purpose would it serve? We don't believe what it says anyway. You know, the whole process breaks down at the start if we don't believe what God says he will do. In Romans chapter 4, 20 and 21, it talks about Abraham and it says this, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. For in fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. For he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. Fully convinced that God could and would keep his promises. That's faith. Where do we find the promises of God? Right here. Okay. Faith is always based upon the promises of God, not what we want. And I've heard faith abused horribly in my lifetime, where people say, you just tell God what you want, and you believe he's going to do it, and he'll do it. And you can get rich. We are required to be faithful, but there's something else that's required of believers. We are required to be fruitful as well. There's a couple directions we could go with this. But I think the direction that we're going to be looking at has to do with Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit, Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. When the Spirit is in control of our life, we are going to be fruitful, go back to Old English, full of fruit. We don't produce the fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. Well, if the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit, then why aren't all believers filled with the fruit of the Spirit? It's because we have a responsibility too. And if we're not doing our responsibility, then the Holy Spirit can't do his responsibility in our life. Faithful and fruitful. So these are some of the things we're going to explore in this series. Uh, next week, we're going to begin by looking at the foundation of godliness. Um, but we, before we take a break, and the annual meeting is going to be coming up here shortly, I want to say one more thing about faithfulness. Okay? And um, I, in my limited experience as a pastor... I've noticed there are different types of people that come to church. There is the flash-in-the-pan attendees, okay? They're the ones, they come in, they get all excited about something, they dive in, but pretty soon they just kind of fizzle out and go by the wayside. And then there are those who are the quiet, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, type that just continues on and on. And Barb and Dale Lawson are the latter type. 
They've been here since the church began. They aren't the type of people that want the limelight. And sad to say for us, they're moving to Spokane and today's their last Sunday with us. And Pastor John, would you come up? And you've known them longer than I have and better than I do. Would you say a few words and bring Dale and Barb with you so we can embarrass them in front of everyone? (laughs) 